welcome to the Browser Extension Weekly Podcast. Um, I'm Stefan, and this is Lewis and Mo, and we're going to be talking about all things browser extensions. Uh, we're going to be uh, diving deep into some interesting concepts, and then talking more broadly about like developer tools and just like the ecosystem in general. Um, cool. So, Lewis, you want to start us off? Some new extension on that's been posted on Paracon and Hacker News. We got uh, TLDV is a new extension. I think they kept integrating. So the idea here is you can do recording, transcribing, timestamping for for remote meetings. Now, what what I actually, what I actually find interesting about this product here, so they they have two separate extensions actually. They have one for Google Meet and then one for Zoom. Interesting. So they have actual two like two Chrome listings, right? So that's actually a different kind of model than what most. Uh, browser extensions do, which are kind of just either works for all websites or one website, right? Mm. But if it works for all websites or multiple websites, it, usually they don't have one extension for each website, right? Usually it's one extension and it just covers all the websites that it wants to kind of uh, target with a content script or whatever, right? But here, this is actually the first time I've seen this and I found it really interesting. There is a Chrome listing Chrome store listing for Google Meet and then one for Zoom. Now, I wonder what the kind of thought process behind that is. Um, my guess is that they have two different technology stacks or two different, just the implementations are so different that they just wanted kind of separation um, just to keep things clean and just not to ship extra code, right? Although it's a browser extension, you're not really shipping it over the wire. The users downloads it the first time. But it could be a more of a de developer experience thing rather than a user experience thing. Yeah, very fascinating. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it also might have to do with like SEO. Like, mm. if someone's searching for like, I want Google Meet transcription. How do I do that? Uh, now they see this like Chrome extension that solves literally that pain point that they googled. And then if they also have something about Zoom, otherwise. The, qu the question in my mind is like, how good of an SEO would it be if you had like transcribed meetings, right? But then there's another extension that's like literally transcribed meetings for Google Meet. It's like what you exactly want, right? Uh, so they might have like had to have some battles with like other Chrome extensions that are probably doing the same thing, but then have this specific like thing for Google Meet that they're just like crushing them on SEO. So they had to do something like this. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. interesting. Actually, you guys, I... I, I, I'm looking at the website now, and so this is what they have. The, the Google Meet is a browser extension. That's a Chrome store listing. And the Zoom one is a, a Zoom extension. It's a Zoom, Zoom app. app, right? Yeah, it's, it's not a browser extension, right? So, and you download it to your uh, Mac OS. Um, I have Mac OS here, so it's saying download for Mac OS, Intel, or M1. So it's just, I guess, a native app. and I guess that's how you run Zoom apps, you know. Um, mm. I thought it, I thought it would have been two Chrome Store listings because I only opened the I opened the first one and it opened for Google Meet and it took me to the Chrome Store, so I assumed the second one was a uh, Chrome extension as well. So I actually don't know how Zoom apps work. Do you guys have you guys ever come across them at all? Are they only like macOS based or can are there are there web versions of them? Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now for the uh, extension. It seems like it's only available for macOS. So what I'm thinking here is actually this extension is actually not a Zoom. It's a native extension, I think. Yeah, it's a native yeah. extension that is. It, it has nothing to do with like um, with like even extension. Even it's just an app. I think it's just an app, a native app that is aware of Zoom. Oh, maybe. They, they might be using some sort of like accessibility features or something of Mac to kind of hook into Zoom and get like their audio out and stuff like that. Could be, yeah. Does Zoom have an extension, like an extension app platform? Zoom app API. Zoom, Zoom API. Zoom, yeah, Zoom does have an app marketplace. They do. But usually these kind of marketplaces for these kinds of apps, usually you don't like download a separate package to your computer, usually you download or kind of add on the, the app 
from the, the app's marketplace. So I would go to Zoom's marketplace, then search up for, for like TLDV and, and add it to Zoom via Zoom's interface. You know what I mean? Yeah. So based on what I'm reading here, right? It seemed to me that TLDV has their own kind of feature that they want to build on top of their app. So they have a desktop app. That desktop app in turn has a communication layer with the Zoom app. Yeah, so, so apparently the native app also allows you to do like editing transcription and do a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. My, I think by the Zoom extension here, I think an extension to the Zoom native app. Right. That sucks. That means you can't use it in a browser. That's unfortunate. Unless they build another browser extension. Now the, the Google Meet one, it works in a, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the demo video. I, I checked it out real quick uh, from the Chrome store listing page. There's a 60 second demo video. It actually joins the meeting you're having as a, as a bot. Um, so you're let's say we're having a meeting together, us three in Google meet, and then to, for, to allow TLDV to hook into the meeting and get uh, generate the transcription transcriptions um it actually joins the meeting as a bot i was wondering if there's another way they could do that via just a content script or the browser extension apis um because i kind of think that's kind of a weird user experience might not necessarily be bad you know having like because uh, if you look at the demo video it's just a like like you know how we have our three camera feeds here showing up in this in this Google Meet, uh, and then there's one more that just says TLDV. So it's kind of a weird yeah. user experience there. Some people might not might be weird to some people. So that's how they're hooking in to the video feed, I guess. But I wonder if they can do that using audio capture, um, maybe from the content script. I'm not sure if there's an API or something. I don't think there's an API for the, for audio capture on the browser extension platform level. You might have to do some something within the main world via content script. Do you guys know anything about that or? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, I've seen a lot of extensions use stuff like this, where like either the functionality via the browser extension APIs that are like supported or like the JavaScript land APIs don't offer the functionality. So for example, screenshots is an example where I've seen this happen a lot, but in general, like it seems like a lot of people offload these things. So like for screenshots, for example, I've seen this one extension, uh, it just launched, I think like a month ago. What they do is like, they let you kind of save websites um, onto your little like knowledge base. So you can click on the pop-up and it'll save the website. And rather than um, performing the screenshot client side, they'll actually send a post request to their server. The server will then spawn a crawler crawl the website, take the screenshot, and then put it into their database. So they're not doing that client side, um, mm. which is interesting. I, I think like, I think like that probably doesn't work with like authentication, yeah. like, things behind authentication 100%. and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, but it seems like a lot of extensions are doing this where they're taking the critical piece of their extension and actually like not trusting that it will work client side and putting it in the back end where they have more control. Right. Because anything that's like kind of like in their users client side, mm. they have less control over updates take a while because they have to go through the web store mm. review, stuff like that. Right, right. Um <clears throat> that's that's interesting. That definitely gives you more power and flexibility in some cases. But it's unfortunate because that just adds a lot a whole lot more complexity. Right. You know, like when I think of browser extensions i think something that's doing most of its work most of its client side related work like taking a screenshot on the actual client right that's just from a developer point of view it's just much more simpler simpler like that and from a user point of view everything just happens locally so um there's more security that way just by design yeah you know but i mean as browser extension developers, we always want more access to more APIs and stuff like that. You know, we'll never stop until we have access to the full 
we'll never be happy until we have access to the full operating system, right? Which, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's, but, uh, but yeah, sometimes you got to get your hands dirty and, and do like what you said about the screenshot app or, you know, hook into the actual Google meet meeting as a bot, you know? So, so I think, yeah, the, for TLDV's case, the, the browser extension is, I think, just from what I saw from the demo, the browser extension is used just to display a UI over the Google Meet and to get the URL of the Google Meet so that the bot can join the meeting. Um, yeah. I think the key benefit of having the bot there is like they can basically, like instead of, instead of reverse engineering the authenticated Google, like, because when you look at Google Meet from the browser point of view, right, you are an authenticated user. So you have to, you kind of have to reverse engineering the authentication step. But if you're joining as a bot, then you just use, you can actually use the uh, usual authentication flow, right? You can kind of use of the same authentication for an user. So from a developer implementation, implementation point of view, instead of reverse engineering, you can now use existing kind of authentication API to you know, chime into the conversation and get access to those to those kind of uh, data, audio data or video data. How how would you from a content script? I think it would be done from content script uh, or from the main world um, via content script. How would you? Could you? Are you able to capture the? You're able to capture the 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 system's audio, right? Maybe with a permission or something. But that's that's something that should that is possible. Am I assuming wrong here, or? I suppose if you use a declarative net request API, and you know exactly where those audio packages are coming from. No, no, I'm not even talking about the network level. I'm talking straight from from the browser, from just from, audio, yeah, the, audio the, API level. Yeah, yeah, just from the system's audio stream. Um, because I know you can, I know, I know you can do that on an on an operating system level. Right with a with a native application, you can you can hook into the system audio. I mean that's how all like screen recording apps and stuff work. So most so most screen recording app would spawn a virtual driver. They they spawn a virtual audio device mm. so that it become a proxy for your real audio device. The audio device go through that proxy virtual virtual right. device. Right, right. That virtual device would capture the input in between its cap middleman. Right. That's how OBS do it. It spawn a virtual um, driver. In this case. Uh, I think that a lot of, you could you might be able to use the tap API maybe the tap API has like the screen recording API which might be able to you can you can stream it into the media the media device API media media recorder API or one of those yeah one of those API inside the navigator yeah to yeah. capture the audio stream right so yeah yeah so I wonder why they're not doing that instead of having I don't I don't know why they're 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 actually inserting a bot into the meeting. Um, it's likely because the fidelity would, would depend on the person running the bot, I think. The fidelity of the audio would depend on the network of the person running that bot. Because if all the audio coming to that browser is very bad, right? Yes. The bot will record very yeah, bad yeah. audio. Of course, right. But right. If, the bot, if the bot is injected directly into that call, then assuming that their server is somewhere with good bandwidth, that bot will have very high yeah, yeah, quality audio yeah. coming into it. Well, yeah, I, I wonder where that bot actually lives. I mean, I, I think I, the, I think the bot would live on Google servers. So whatever audio Google is getting, yeah. I think whatever audio is, I think that bot is within like the ecosystem of some sort of Google a, uh, Meet API, and whatever yeah. whatever audio Google is getting, you know, so that would be the best version possible so that bot would get. Yeah, and and that way as well, not just from a quality point of view. Um, also from a, uh, uh, another point of view of, um, like everybody, the bot can send their recording to all of the, the participants of the meeting. Maybe the bot, the bot, maybe with some permissions would have access, maybe send an email or something. He would have the emails of all the participants in the meeting. Right. So that way it's kind of like, it's not just happening on the person who has the browser extension installed in their browser. The, the the transcription or whatever service uh, other services and features TLDV has can be shared with everyone that joins the meeting, 
right? And, and and that's I think that's what it was being marketed as when I watched the demo. It's sort of like a, sort of a, a feature that the whole team collaborates on, a product that the whole team mm -hmm. collaborates on, not just one person in a meeting, right? It's meant for for teams rather than individuals. That's kind of the vibe I got. Um, yeah, I I think the the other thing I was thinking about where you were saying that is like. Um, I think in some ways, like having the bot there is also kind of just thinking about like the user experience. Like now everyone knows that that meeting is being transcribed, right? Like if yeah. it was one person's Chrome extension, like that person would need to now say like, hey guys, is it okay if I like transcribe this? I'm using this thing called whatever, whatever. Right. But now because it's like another person, you can think of that like that's like actually a robot that's listening to us. So now like we understand that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's definitely ups and downs, you know, like first I mentioned that it's kind of a weird user experience seeing that bot there, you know, that's kind of like makes it a weird kind of user experience, but it also in some aspect makes it a better user experience as you know, because now everyone knows that there's a bot listening in for whatever purposes. Right. So yeah, that, that's definitely um, interesting. Now for, for the zoom one, I'm actually glad we went over that because uh, we can also talk about just, uh, in addition to browser extensions, there's also extension platforms for apps like zoom extensions, Google meet extensions, like this TLDV bot lives in. And, uh, you know, we, we can sort of talk about how maybe one idea I'm having is one, or one question I ask myself often a lot is what is the future of extensibility, extensible platforms? Is it every single app building their own extension platform or is it whatever environment these apps run in, for example, the browser, having its own extension platform and letting developers build one app for one extension platform, which is the browser that can run on any uh, app or is the future ex of extensibility letting developers build specific you know extensions for specific apps on the apps provided extension platform do you guys do you guys know what i mean yeah 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 or it could be like a balance of both a mix of both or could the two platforms sort of communicate and integrate with each other you know to provide more functionality and 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 even more features we, we did kind of speak about this last time Stefan. you mentioned this that you think this is a, a good direction to head in is have you know, the, the browser extension, but also have the web apps have their own sort of set of APIs that allow for deeper integrations. I think the, the biggest, the biggest question is like the biggest problem to solve for extensibility is like, it needs to be a two-way street. Um, you can have like extensions extend software, but they will be severely limited and it would be like it's it's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. And we've seen it done like plenty of times. We have like billion dollar companies that are extensions. But I think the reason why we're not seeing more extensions, the reason why software isn't being more extended is because it's currently not a two-way street. The contract is only for one entity and that's the extension. The software that's being extended doesn't even know the extension exists. And once, once software kind of establishes this contract of like, uh, here's like an SD, like I'm giving you an interface. Here's an interface. Now extend me, like make really cool innovations, like work on, like work on making my software better. And here's like the toolkit to do so. Here's your little space you can use to like host your extension. Here's like the views that I'm going to provide you. Like I'm giving you a contract that like, I will not break these things without letting you know, right. without deprecating yeah. things and so on and so forth. And then, and then like kind of build in the same way that like APIs give you this sort of contract that you, you need to uphold, like both parties need to uphold. Like you're given a schema, I give you the schema, I'm letting you know that it's not gonna just break one day. Once we have that, I think a lot more software is gonna, is gonna like go to the next level because extensions are always like the most innovative part of any piece of software. There's so many Slack chatbots. So Slack chatbots are an example of an extension just in a different way. Like they don't have their own kind of like, like HTML UI, but they have their own sort of UI. Yeah. No, they're definitely, definitely an extension of 
So now we like we so let's separate the two types of extensions. I think we could we can do that. We have browser extensions that extend the functionality of browsers and the web pages that the web browser runs, and then we have app specific extensions like Slack bots, like uh, the Zoom uh, marketplace we were talking about earlier, and Google Meet. Right. So with, with these kind of extensions, these specific app extensions, you have this kind of two-way street that you were talking about. Right things are more defined, things are more objective via some sort of schema definition or something. And for example, a really good example of this is VS Code, right? Uh, VS Code is vanilla, is, is, is very basic editor, but what allows it to flourish as a product is all the extensibility it provides. Like everything about VS Code is, is extensible. And, and, you know, so we have those kind of extensions and then browser extensions where you're able to your your target is, is 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 your target range is is wider and bigger, but you can't go as deep. You know what I mean? Because again, like you said, it's a one way street. And one one other thing that's super interesting about like browsers, browser extensions in general, is like the API is way too low level, and some things that you would think are like just normal, like for example, like I want to simulate a click on a website, right? Okay, so yeah, there's like a common way to do it in JavaScript, right? Like DOM element dot click, you run the function, it's going to click. Turns out that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Different JavaScript frameworks handle clicks differently. Right. So now you have to like reinvent the wheel to do that. Right. For example, sometimes you have to do a mouse down. You have to send a, I had to do this once with Google Drive. I tried sending a click event, but I had, that didn't work for some reason. And I was like, and then I realized I had to do a mouse down event and then a mouse up event for whatever JavaScript framework Google Drive's UI was using. That's what a click means to it. Yeah, I think we're, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like in some ways, like I guess there's two two huge problems, right? One of them is like, yeah, just we need a more like higher level kind of abstraction on these concepts in the browser space. Like, what is a click? Click is a very fundamental thing. It's not like every website is going to define their own way and have their own SDK for clicking stuff, right? Um, so like browsers need to like level up and offer a, like a better abstraction than they currently have. And on the other end, like if you want to do more complex things, I don't want to have to like look through class names or like some other like expats or whatever, and then click stuff manually and then like piece that together to like build an extension on your website. I want you to just give me like a function to call and it will just do what I want to do. So like, I guess there's two pieces, right? Like the more browser level stuff and then the more specific web app stuff, both of them need to offer like more layers of abstraction than they currently do. That's kind of uh, how I'm thinking about that at the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. For example, like the click example you gave, I think like as a browser extension developer, you have to, first of all, find out how does this website register click events? And, and that could be abstracted to just one function called click me. Like, you know, I grab this button that's on the DOM and this exposes some function called like click me. And underneath that, it can do whatever it wants. It can listen to click events. It can listen to mouse down slash mouse up events, whatever you want, whatever it wants. Right, and that would just make it much more simpler for for the browser extension developer, right? Yeah, just like listing out um, all of the different things you need to do, right? It's not just like figuring out what the listeners are. You go take a step back, like, what what do I want to happen? And like, you have to like figure out, okay, like there's this button here. I need to I need to figure out how to click this button. So you need to figure out how to first get the DOM element in your JavaScript, right? Right, like somehow figure that out. Okay, now you have this magical incantation that like works, but like, what if the UI changes? Like, what do I do now? And I think scrapers have the same issue, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then like, how do I click it? Okay, I clicked it. Now I need to kind of like somehow store the state that like I am now in this other section, like step two of my process. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in this like other view. Okay, I need to make sure that I'm in this other view and it actually loaded everything. Right. So now I need a mutation observer. Mm -hmm. Like it's really complex. Like it starts getting complex very quickly. Right. And, um, you know, having access to a lower level APIs like this is never a bad thing apparently. Right. Um, 
but when there are processes that are sort of repetitive and similar, then there are room for um, abstraction. There is room for abstraction. And I think in the browser extension space with web UIs, there, there, are, there is a lot of room for, for abstraction because lots of the processes and, and kind of workflows um, are, are similar, right? So not saying the low-level APIs are bad. Those are great. Those are what we'll, that's what we will build on top of, right? And sometimes you will need those low APIs. There's always low-level APIs. There's always edge, edge cases, right? But we just got to you know, abstract where we think there's room for abstraction. And I think there is. Definitely. I think one of the one of the wet dream for especially UI developer, right? Is the idea of because UI is very UI is somewhat ubiquitous, right? I mean sure every time a new a new designer came up, they would they would design a new iteration of this new design system. But essentially if you creating a piece of UI is you kinda of want to if you kinda of want the piece of UI to be reusable, right? So there was a lot of this effort with I just bring up React Native, for example. You can use the same React Native kind of template and use it on almost every single, every, everywhere almost, if you, if you can kind of inter interpret it. Like React, but you can even use React Native kind of tag template in VR environment, in a VR environment. If that VR environment can parse the uh, React code and, you know, like render each tag appropriately inside the renderer. If we think about kind of how to extend software, like one piece that I think about a lot is like module based sort of like architectures, right? Like plug and play modules into things and like have them as building blocks. It's kind of what you're talking about, right, Louis? Mm -hmm. I sent you guys a link. It's this thing called Adept. When I first saw it, I think I saw it like about a month ago or two months ago, it really blew my mind. There's these guys, um, that built this thing where it's an extension, you write down what you want it, the, your browser to do in English, and it will just do it. Mm. And it's not like some clickbait thing. Like it's actually very powerful. Um, the people that built this, I believe that like their backgrounds are incredible. Like I think like staffs, research scientists at Google brain for like six years, this kind of like caliber of uh, people. And so the question in my mind, right, is like, yeah, like we can build like these SDKs and stuff. What's the point when we're just going to have these AI that just knows what to click and right. like what right. to do, you know? Right. The the one solution solves everything, you know, that kind of product. That's interesting and, and tricky idea. Like, like which direction should we go in? Should we just, should we try to build all the SDKs and all the abstraction and and all the, the schema definitions and whatnot, or do we just say screw it and just let, you know, super smart algorithms or machine learning just figure out everything for us? In my mind, in my mind, right? It seems like at the moment, Adept has yet to open source their model, mm -hmm. right? I, I think that as the creation of extension become easier and easier, or creations of, of anything, right? Like even software feature become easier. There will be open source version of this, and everyone will benefit eventually, right? So I don't think what we're doing, or you know, in, in on on Plasma side, we're building out uh, this kind of open source framework to make it much much easier to build extension, right? And I don't think that effort is futile, right? Because the idea is that as make, we're making it easier to build extension, but we don't we're not making it easier to build that you know that actual core, right? the core kind of functionality. Right. The people who build the extension will still have to build the core functionality of that extension by sending the prompt to some AI, let the AI parse the current page, and then it does the job, right? Right. Ah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean, uh, Louis. So, for example, uh, let's say uh, you, like, let's say I'm using this product, this browser extension, Adept, as a user, and I want to tell it, let's say I want it to run an automated task to download one of my files in Google Drive. So what would I type in? I would type in, uh, click on five files that have the name starting with S and then click the download button, right? So that would be like my prompt. So there's the AI uh, sort of level in the stack. 
But what Lewis is saying is that eventually the developers will run into that problem that we discussed earlier of the exam, the clicking. How do I click this UI, right? And then you have the, the mouse down, mouse up, or the click event handler. So the, the two problems still exist, right? And they can, there, there still is that need. I know what you mean. There still is that need for providing that abstraction. Yeah. I mean, unless, okay, I mean, sure, they can also solve the meta problem. Like you can, they can have the AI solve the meta problem of, oh, how do we solve, how do we, it can read the Chromium source code and figure out all kinds of API for us. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Mm. Then we would use it too. Mm. I would love to use that API, right? So we can abstract everything. Mm-hmm. But I think that AI is already out there. It's called what? Uh, Which one? Called? The one from GitHub. I forgot the name. Jeez. Copilot. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 See, the, the thing in my mind is like, I think this is like the abstraction for like SDKs for specific websites, right? But it's not the abstraction for like actually like clicking stuff and doing like this sort of stuff on the browser side. That, that stuff still needs to get solved. But in terms of the SDK, like, what do you guys think about? There's this idea. There's this um, there's this meetup that I was supposed to go to, but I eventually never went to. Um, of it was the first meetup ever for prompt engineers. There's these like people now that are like, if you guys ever seen like those uh, AI generated images, mm-hmm. like the prompts are insane. Like the yeah. 4K, like. Uh, I don't know, like, I honestly, if I can replicate, I can't, like, it's literally like a paragraph of just random words. As to me, it's random, but apparently it makes beautiful images. Right, right. And so what you're saying is now there's a, a new kind of uh, engineering uh, discipline that's based on AI prompt engineering. Yeah. So like, if you can imagine if you're building like an extension and maybe you're using adapt as like your SDK for the web. Right. Mm-hmm. So now you need to like engineer prompts to work with Google Drive. So like maybe like like files that start with S doesn't work. Maybe you need to say like file names that start with the character S. Like these are the sort of things you need to like you need to basically like convince the AI to do what you want it to do. And like that's like prompt engineering. Um, I wonder if that's like the future. The one thought my mind right is that if anything in Star Trek has taught me is the final version is just about. To- the final version of a phaser is just a remote, it's a TV remote. You press and you, you want to kill someone, you press a button. No, no, right. no flash, no, like, no flashy kind of, uh, you know, flicking, right? You want to kill someone, you press a button, done. Or you want to stun someone, you flip the switch and you press a button, right? So like, in my mind, eventually everything will become, or people would want to, sure, the, the generic, the generic kind of solution, right? Is this kind of AI prompt where you can say, hey, computer, do me. Give me this thing. Give me this. Give me this food, right? Like, do me some arbitrary thing. But then, after about ten times of doing that, they will get tired of it. They will be like, okay, let's make it into a button. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they will optimize it. And the job, and the job of the human then, of the engineering team, right, on on the ship of the enterprise, is then to optimizing that task to make it as efficient as possible, so that the next time someone wants a milk chocolate, it take ten percent less energy. Uh, comparing to if they have to tell the, the machine to do it man- manually uh, from, mm-hmm. from start to finish. So I right. think that eventually, right now, right, it, very similar to Amazon Go, right, or Amazon Shipping, in which, or, I mean, Amazon Order, right? Initially, you have to browse the catalog. You, you find the Thai, you find the Thai detergent or cooking oil, whatever, right? And then you order that. But then after you order that about 10 mm-hmm. times, you go, okay, just give me the uh, the one click checkout button, right? Ship it to me, and every time I need it, I press. That's it. I don't, I don't, right. I don't care about the middleman anymore. I don't care about. I don't want to give you command anymore. What if people build extensions on top of this? Then, like, imagine you build an SDK, but it's actually just like really good prompts for this AI, and that's the SDK, right? Yeah, that's what one way to do it. Yep, and then people start making this Amazon checkout button for that. Yeah, I can imagine that's the kind of thing which. People would eventually. I mean, that's what basically what Bookmarklet was was the thing, right? For that, Bookmarklet was just a very simple way to build a button to run some very simple JavaScript code, right? To do some quick automation. And I think eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, as the ecosystem mature, we will see extension being, you know, just when when it's become popular enough, people will want it to be just a, a click instead of like 
this whole elaboration. Right. Well, I think the, the ultimate kind of final destination for any UI in its, in its ultimate simplest form is just a button, right? I mean, that's if, if UI and UX engineers uh, could solve all the problems with just a button, that's what we would do. And that's what the user would love, right? So that, that's kind of like the simplest form of, of the UI is, is literally just a button that does what you want it to do, right? Now, most obviously most apps and UIs are not this simple, right? Because building UIs and workflows is, is difficult, right? You want to make it as simple as possible, but also allow flexibility from the user's end point of view, customization, right? So as, as things get smarter and more simpler and more generic, um, I mean, that would be really cool. I mean, it was just a button. You just press a button and it knows exactly what you want to do. Right. That, that, that is. Yeah, no, for sure. I, so like, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is like, what is, what does it look like where you have the like button and that's your application. And then literally the rest of it is up to the interpretation of your viewers. It's all just extensions everywhere. So like imagine you build some software where like now you tell that your users like, okay, you can do whatever you want here and like people can make extensions and you can make your own thing. And I think Notion is like a really good example of this where like they have such good integrations and also like these block primitives where they completely turn their like little text editor, which is just like at its core, it's a button, right? Because like just a way of like inputting text and then they leave the rest up to their, um, to their customers mm -hmm. or to users to do whatever they want. And extend it like to 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 um, be amazing. Like I know there's there's people that make like tens of thousands of dollars, like selling templates for Notion, which is insane. Crazy. So I'm curious, like as extensions get more powerful and as these like SDKs get built, right? Like how much more of software will just be building the button, um, and then letting everyone else do the heavy lifting? Yeah, it's just. Like the question is, where is this button? Where does it live? In what part of the stack? And what? And also, do the people building the extensions on top of this button also allow their platforms to be extended at another level? Yeah. Right. Extension and extension. Right. Meta extension. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, extensions. Extensions are literally. I mean, when I think of software, I think everything is an extension. Everything, because you got, you got, you got the kernel. Right, and then everything else, everything that's living around that, right, the operating system is just extending the functionalities of the kernel and providing abstractions for native applications, operating system applications that extend the operating system APIs, and then the browser or other apps live on top of the operating system APIs, right, and then you have web apps that are extending the browser and then you have browser extensions that are extending web apps right so i just that I, so i think what you said honestly um stefan about having starting at one place starting at one button and then extending everything i think that's what software is today i think that's already exists in some way or form yeah everything is just yeah, an extension sure. of everything right hey guys so basically what ended up happening in this section of the podcast is my headphones died just so i had to step out it was a really great podcast and I encourage you to keep on listening. So after this intense conversation we had around everything related to Adapt and all this fun stuff around buttons and what does UI really mean and what is really an extension, we go deep into other parts of the kind of stuff happening in current events with Mastodon and all the fun stuff in the Fediverse. So here is Lewis and Mo talking about that. Yeah. Mastodon and the Fediverse is actually not decentralized. They are distributed, very similar to Torrent. The architecture is more Torrent than decentralization. Decentralization mm -hmm. means every node, right? Is Every node can potentially be a true node, right? Ah, uh, yeah, an equal node, yeah. An equal node. But in a, in a distributed system, though, you actually have Cedar. The Cedar is actually the true node, and you can you can leech off the sitter as needed. Mm. Uh, yeah, so this is like, um, you have the sitter and then you have, 
I was reading that you kind of you can you can run all your own instances. You can, you can, but you yeah, precisely. You can run your own instances, but that would be your own server, right? Basically, it's like your own kind of social media if you want. You can run your own Twitter if right. you want to, or you can join someone already created instances. That's why there's a bunch of lists of instances. That's why there's a bunch of lists, Mastodon instance lists, right? Where it lists all kinds of servers that you can join, because in these instances there are people with similar kind of interest, like topic, like you know, like anime, movie, games, whatever, right? They would join that instance to discuss the exact same topic and also have the profile there. The cool thing about being a being fair rated, so the fair rating protocol is a protocol. It's a protocol that allow. It's very similar to the all. Oh, oh. What's the name of the protocol? Uh, so it's called Active. Uh, what is it? Some something active pub. Signal? Something pub. Oh, you talking about? And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. Activity, activity pub. pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Activity yeah, yeah, pub yeah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a protocol. It's a fair protocol that allow. It's very similar in a sense to uh, all off actually all off too. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat similar to that uh, in, in terms of use case in which you can now actually authenticate yourself from one instances to another by having two instances sharing metadata. Mm. So, for example, if you sign up, for example, mastodon.plasma.com, right? You are on you on the Plasmos instances, right? Right. And now you have this account, you have your profile account, you have all kind of tweets on that account, on, on that server, right? Mm-hmm. And now you want to jump and sign into an anime server on a completely different domain name, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can actually federate your profile from Plasma server to the other server. Right. With zero, because, the, because of the activity pop protocol, they understand each other. Right, right. So yeah, it's an email. It's like, it's that email. Yeah, from what I read, the, the the beautiful thing about this is it works, right, uh, cross domain, and which means precisely cross domain, it, which means which means information can be shared and in, interpreted accurately across apps. So, yep. like some examples that I saw when I was reading about this was that you have one app that's uh, uh, running the um, activity pub uh, protocol is Mastodon, but you also have another one that's kind of like a YouTube uh, called PeerTube, I think. Yeah, PeerTube. PeerTube is yeah. also using, yeah, is using activity pub. So when a, an, a PeerTube creator publishes a new PeerTube video, if you're following that person from your Mastodon, you will also get it in your Mastodon feed as well. Precisely, yeah. Without the creator having to go to Mastodon and republish the video or link to it, precisely, it's automatically precisely. in in the feed, right? Because there, all these apps are running on the Activity Pub protocol, and this actually is is very, very like synonymous and related to what we were talking about earlier with extensions. Yeah. Right and and having kind of this is what the beauty of uh, these uh, well-defined schemas and protocols is is that you can have this uh, collaboration and integration uh, across domains across apps right without having to worry about misinterpretation of data and schema architectures right uh, scraping is not really a thing because you're you know what the data coming in and going out looks like between app to app right yeah. So, so that see, like, there's just so much, so much powerful things can happen when you have well-defined, uh, you know, schemas and, and protocols like ActivityPub. Yeah. Right. And now this is in a different context. This is in like, uh, uh, you know, decentralization and servers and stuff like that. Not really about client-side browser extensions, but the idea still applies. Yep. Yeah. I. So I, I actually went on Mastodon back in 2017, 2018, actually. It was pretty fun. Oh, so you're like, an, you're an early group. I'm, I'm an early user. Um, and um, I didn't know about it till today. <laughs> but um, I, I can tell you that it has been evolving for a while, but the, but the, uh, the protocol is still, it has been the same. It's been very stable since then. Mm. But, okay, here's one thing though. You, one thing with, with, the, with, the, uh, with Mastodon, you kind of want to make sure that you know the owner of the server. <laughs> Because they can shut it down anytime, yeah. Right, right. So maybe a lot of time yeah. you set it, yeah. So a lot of time you just set up your own server basically and have your own family and friend joining the server. Fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I see. So, would you consider that true decentralization? 
No, or... it is, that's why that's why that's why I want to confirm that it is distributed, right? It is not decentralized education at all. It is distributed. Mm. Yeah. Distributed. Um, yeah. Or or federated. That's the word for it, right? Yeah. Well, federation. That... It is. So federated is the protocol. They that that's the term to call the protocol. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. It's a distribution. So is it distributed? Is distributed computing using a varied protocol? Ah, uh, okay. I see. In in contrast to maybe like so decentralization using decentralized protocol, right? You also have distributed protocol using decentralized kind of a uh, protocol, uh, like a uh, BitTorrent. So BitTorrent is so after you have leech off of a peer, right? You can mm-hmm. actually become a seeder. You can become a full node seeder if you want to. Mm-hmm. Or you can be in, or you can just cut off, right? After you get the file, you can just cut off and don't want to see it anymore. That's also, mm-hmm. you can choose to do that if you don't want to be a friendly mm-hmm. player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, like the only thing uh, for in Mastodon's case, running on this protocol, I just like the main like issues I have with it is just uh, from a user experience point of view, it, 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 you know, the onboarding could be tough, right? Because Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to, like, you kind of have to be like a, a power user or a, a tech junkie to really take full advantage of a platform like this, you know, versus something like Twitter, uh, which is centralized. Any user with no technical knowledge can be onboarded super easily. So that's why I bring it up in the extension podcast, right? Because there's actually an extension for Mastodon on Firefox now. Someone mm. released that. And it actually do what's it called? Mastodon. It's called Mastodon. So what it does, it does all the heavy lifting in the background for you actually, like because you, you kinda of have to, right? You have to know your identity on the on your Fediverse or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But if your extension has all the lists of the Fediverse you care about, or at least you know, it it has an indexing, right? Of all the it be, it become kind of a centralized indexing of all the Fediverse. Mm-hmm. Then right. in the background, it can do all the uh, handling hand, handling of the authentication for you. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it'll be very similar to a crypto wallet. A crypto wallet would basically right. have the very similar protocol where it you can you can be authenticated with your public public key that is stored on your crypto wallet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is the is the extension built by? Um, I mean, it's not it's not built by the the Mastodon. Um, developers themselves, right? Otherwise, I don't, I don't think, think so. it would I don't, be, so. I don't think it, it would be an extension. Otherwise, I think it would, if the Mastodon developers wanted something like this, then uh, they would have it baked into the platform itself. No, I don't think they can do that, though, right? Because that's why it's that's, that's why it's distributed. When it's distributed, ah. each instance is completely separate. You can have right. a, I can we can have instance on Plasma.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the developers just can't do anything. They can't implement this feature because they don't have access to precisely to, to the data, right? Because of the nature of the network. This is why browser extensions are awesome. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why, like, crypto app, right? Crypto browser has to do an extension because it's so hard to convincing all the uh, decentralized app, right? The all the app, you know, to hey, add its plugin instead mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. hey, just exposing. The Web three API, and we can communicate there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Is this a, a new extension, or has this been around as long as uh, Mastodon has been around? Based on okay, I did not know about this extension because I don't. I didn't even Firefox for a while now. But based on the age of Hackney, oh, is it only? Is it? Oh, it's only on Firefox at the moment. It seems yeah, and then, but yeah, and and it's only been trending for the past week, trending for the past one or two weeks or so. Yeah. So my thought with this line of thought, though, is, you know, like you can imagine. So don't think of Ma- I would not. I would recommend not think of Mastodon as a single, uh, as a single app. Right. Each Mastodon instance has their own characteristic, has their right. own quirk, even. So right. what if I can? Im- I I would imagine in the future where people make extension for each and every single instance. Mm. Could you give Could you give an example of an instance and a of an, an extension that could run on that instance of the use case? Yeah, yeah. So for yeah, for example, like an instance focused on anime, right? Mm-hmm. And all the discussion okay. about anime, and they have mm-hmm. these kind of special handler, special link for anime only, right? 
you can imagine an extension focused on extending Mastodon. So it, it's not extending that instant. It's extending Mastodon to accommodate that community to this, to have a better discussion on anime. Mm. Mm. Or now, now it will so that extension will not be very useful for a community that focuses on sport, for example, the esport, right? Or focusing on like, for example, League of Legends, right? If if a community focuses on League of Legends, all they care about is kind of the scoreboard, or like the uh, right. or like the stats of each player, right? Then the anime extension might not be useful, but another league focus extension will be very useful for them. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. another one for Star Trek, or another one for One Piece, or another one for you know you, you have you have all kind of you know Fediverse is what they call it, right? All kind of these right. small micro community. I imagine it's like making bot right for each server. You know, initially Discord bot was people making small script, right? Initially Discord bot was just literally user. It's an user account that that like it was not even. I don't think it was even using the official. You know, the API, right? It's just literally a bot that's sending message to the chat. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the same idea. There, you have Discord channels, and you have bots for each of the channels. Yeah. And then you could have um, Mastodonian extensions via via browser extensions that are running on each for each instance, each yep. topic. Right. Well, Mastodon Mastodon has been around for for a while, but it's recently picking up. A lot of steam because of the whole just Twitter controversy, right? Is that, is that yeah, why yeah. it's getting so popular now? People are just looking for a new social media platform. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, thanks to Elon Musk. <laughs> I heard there is actually another one um, that Jack Dorsey himself is is okay. Yes, building yes, yes, called the Blue Sky. But yep. I don't know the the the. The architectural backings. I think that's just a regular kind of Web two centralized traditional kind of. Thing. No, no, it's actually it's it's also a distributed. So I I so I know the uh, or I'm aware of the author or one of the uh, one of the developer core mm-hmm. core developer of Blue Sky, the AT protocol. That so Jack Dorsey fund them I think, and I guess he also take on the ambassador kind of role now, but that project, or uh, so. One of the core contributors of that project used to work on this browser called Beaker Browser. And Beaker Browser is an experimental browser based on Chromium that it has a lot of new cool stuff. And one of the cool things is actually use that protocol, the DAT protocol. It is a decentralized protocol that allows users to like modify and it basically makes the web become like Git. Every time you visit a website, you visit a Git version of that website. And then you can easily call that website. You call that website into your own domain <laughs> and make a Git clone of it. And now you can edit that website however you want to become your own website and, and publish it. It's a very, it's a very, it's, that's why it's called a Beaker. It's an experimental browser. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Beaker, an experimental peer-to-peer web browser. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Frazee is a, is a person behind. Very, very, very cool developer. Uh, he's been trying to push it for a while, but I think... I think uh, until capital is rolling in, it's very hard. You know, like I think the the thing with Jack Dorsey and the thing with you know having a celebrity or at least capital backing, like VC backing, I think is a requirement for this kind of initiative. I think it's a huge initiative. Yeah, that, I mean, just anytime building a web browser is a huge initiative, right? Even if even if like even if you're just cloning Chromium, just maintaining Chromium is, is a headache itself. Yeah. Um, right. So as I, soon as you you fork it, as soon as you fork it, and you ha- are now responsible for the the updates from the original source code. For for example, when a when a a day zero um, cyber attack happens, and then Chromium pushes a patch, you then have to integrate that patch into your Chromium instance. Yep. Um, which I hear is is just a nightmare, right? It's yep. not really a good developer experience just because of how complicated the, the code base is. Now, uh, this speaker actually looks really, the speaker browser looks in, interesting. I'm definitely going to install it and check it out. It's still up for installation, so I'm not sure if development is still going on. No, it, it stopped for a while now. It's, I think, so Beaker was created around 2017, and it was created around the time when Beaker was almost as, I would say I would compare it to Brave Browser back in the day. Yeah. 
And then I think Brave Browser has you know, bigger money, right? Uh, more backing behind it. Right, right. But also, Brave is not is not so experimental. I mean, Brave doesn't have these are more niche, like the speaker browser, more niche experimental sort of uh, features, creating your own website on your own domain from another website. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what uh, the use case for this would would really be like. Like, let's say I'm I'm using Google Drive uh, in Beaker, and then I fork it, and then I create my own Google Drive. I, I guess it's just I mean, like, what is the difference between this and versus building a browser extension on top of Google Drive? Um, you know, you know what I mean. So the idea that they have in mind, right, or the idea of the use case. What is really about forking other people's work and hosting your own or having a version of your own, right? So you can control it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, a, it's the same with, so it's like, it, it, you would treat it like Git, right? You, you, you clone every single website you have seen in the world yeah, so far into your own version if you want to, and you can start editing it right away. So for example, if, sure, if Google Drive, right, have some feature that is missing, you can make a, make, you, you can either make an extension or you can clone it and just make, and start from and just you know code the entire yeah, they actually have a uh, uh beaker has i just read they have a an editor built into the browser itself so you can yep. literally clone and then start working the code in the next tab or split screen or however it works so that's pretty cool precisely why mastodon was a thing back in 2017 right there was another social social network called uh, rotonde mm -hmm. and it was mainly it was strictly used on top of that protocol uh, and and it was mainly used on Beaker, and the way you use this Rotonde kind of a social network, right? When you clone someone, you actually follow them. You fork your code, you send them a pull request saying, "Hey, add me as your follower," and they would accept your pull request and add you to their follower list. Mm. Yeah, which is kind of a it's a it's a funny way of it's basically everything is good. It's it, it, it treat everything like a Git versioning yeah. scheme. Yeah, everything is just a version. Every instance of everything is just a version, and then next version, and the next version, and yep. it can be forked, right? Yeah. And that's all. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We dive deep into concepts like what is an extension, concepts like what is the Fediverse, decentralization, all things related to extensions. And it's interesting because a lot of times you don't really think of extensions as these things that exist in the back end. You always think extensions are something that the client downloads and installs themselves. Yet we've seen through this conversation that extensions can also apply to backends once you're in, existing in this sort of federated environment. And I'll just leave you with one thing, which is a lot of people think extensions are kind of this easy, simple black box that solve a very specific need. But what if they were more? What if extensions were really the key piece of innovation for any sort of software. What if you just create a button, like what we talked about in this podcast, and imagine your LinkedIn. All you do is you set up the feed. You create these routes that people can send messages to that store things in your database, and you leave the rest up to the interpretation of the reader. So if I'm a salesperson, I want to customize my LinkedIn to be as sales-driven as possible. Right now, there are extensions that do this, but all of them sort of do it in a very, very retrofitting sort of way. There is no two-way street, as we talked about in this podcast. There is no contract between LinkedIn and myself as an extension developer. LinkedIn can pull the rug under me, and I need to basically re-architecture everything from the ground up. It doesn't make much sense. What if the actual implementation 
exists on LinkedIn's side, similar to how decentralized apps work. With dApps, what you, can, what you can do is you can specify, hey, connect to wallet, and the decentralized app actually understands that you have a wallet extension and you would like to connect with it. And there's a certain protocol that is followed for the decentralized app to talk and communicate with your extension. What if other websites had something similar? And that's the kinds of things that we're thinking about a lot at Plasmo. What can we do to encourage software developers and software architects to integrate accessibility as a kind of first order component of their software? Anyways, I'll leave you with that. Next episode will be in a week or two. We'll be discussing more things related to extensions, more current events, and discussing extensions as a whole. If you enjoyed this, please follow each of us on Twitter, where we sometimes discuss things related to extensions. Um, my Twitter is at stayfun underscore, and Mo's Twitter is underscore Mo Bazzi. That's underscore M-O-E-B-A-Z-Z-I. Finally, Lewis's Twitter is litbid. That's L-I-T-B-I-D. Well, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you next time.